You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures. I'm your host, Paul Booth. Today, we will be interviewing Kira Kelly, who shot the upcoming Netflix series, Self Made, with Octavia Spencer. It's about Madam C.J. Walker. It is a story that there's no way around not saying that the education system wouldn't particularly teach this in school. It's about the first African-American self-made millionaire that was a woman. And I'm pretty sure the first self-made African-American millionaire after slavery. We got to see this advanced thing on Netflix. We're going to discuss it in depth today. You guys got to see this. It's an overwhelming story. It's inspiring. It's relevant, even though it's about a figure from the late 1800s and early 1900s. And it's no surprise, I believe that films find you. It's no surprise that this came across with what's going on in the world right now, because it's down to basics. I'm not going to get on a soapbox, but it's just about having some intent and having some passion standing by your gun. So we're really excited about that. Caller coming in. Let's see if we have her with us. Aloha. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How's it going? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, uh, uh, hey, I think we're all getting by right now, right? And that's all we can be thankful for, eh? <laughs> that That is definitely true, yes. <laughs> Excellent. And thank you for joining us, by the way. We're always so appreciative of people's time. All right. Oh, no problem. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You're welcome. We have Tara Kelly with us. Um, we never say where our guests are, but we appreciate whenever they call in or wherever they are. And uh, it's it's cool that um, we get to have callers from around the country. I'm in Kentucky today, so as I explained to you guys, and it will be um, presented, we're here to further discuss uh, a number of made uh, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. There's probably about 150 questions that I could ask about this, but I'm sure you don't feel like talking to me for four hours. So uh, <laughs> I'm, the thing is, I, I did a quick Wikipedia of this. I messaged my buddy who's a, I cannot say I'm saying Black or African-American. I understand why it has to be said. I'm just believing same person. But he happened to be a 70-year-old Black man who was like 17 at the peak of civil rights. And I like asked him about Madam C.J. Walker. And I was like, oh my God, she's the shit. So I was so happy to see this show. So, And I like, he says yeah. the shit about like a good Santana album. So I'm like, oh my God, I want to watch this. Like it's as good as a Santana album. So uh, <laughs> great comparison, right? Sorry about that. Talk about my youth. Okay, so it works. I want, well, what I, I'd, I'd like to know what research is like for the person who's in charge of lighting as much as you're following Kathy Lemons or... Domain Davis. I know that's the I know the pecking order, but what is I'm wondering how uh, research involves color or it affects color. Yeah. So for well, to start with, like for this one is you know it's a period piece, and from the very beginning, like before while I was just interviewing for a job, um, the showrunners and the show creators were very clear that they did not want like you know a sepia toned monocolor like monochromatic period piece. Um, they really wanted to figure out a way to make it vibrant, vibrant and, you know, kind of timely with today, which is a little bit of a challenge because you have everybody running around in period wardrobes. Um, and the film takes, I mean, the, the piece takes place in like 19, around the 1900s. Um, so it was this challenge of like, okay, how can we make it, you know, colorful and have wonderful saturated colors, but not have it feel jarring. And so for us, of course, like all of our research was black and white, some sepia and stuff like that. But it was really a conversation with the, you know, with the production designer and wardrobe to figure out how we could add colors that way. And then my lighting was a little bit more neutral, except for like, you know, within each episode, we have things that are that we call the interstitial sections, which are more of like the fantasy sequences. Those we definitely did more stylized um, lighting and more colorful. But mainly I tried to keep the lighting as naturalistic as possible so that we could really have the jewel tones that the art department and wardrobe were building into the sets kind of pop. Interesting, because I'm always I always wonder how cinematographers face that challenge of sure you can maybe go spiritually to where it took place obviously you can go to indianapolis you can go to st louis but you only have black and white photography to reference so you can only kind of make a guess 
of what the colors were. And I think we kind of all grew up with that thing where we think life was black and white till color photography, but yeah, um, that's well, what that, I kept paying attention was, to was like you were saying. <laughs> that was an interesting thing that um, one of the um, production designer, Britt, had all these books um, and like, you know, all these paint swatches and colors from that time. So we were really able to see, I don't think it was like, you know how now there's like, pan, what is that company called? Pantheon is like the color of the year sort of thing. I don't think that that existed then, but it was something similar to that. So we really, like, we were looking at these homes and yes, some of the pictures are black and white, but what we could see was homes back then were really colorful. There was a lot of color built into it. Like, you know, nowadays it's definitely much more mineralistic. We don't do as much as of that. But then there was a lot of colors built into walls. There were a lot of um, wallpaper designs that were pretty graphic and so, yeah, we kind of really tried to – she did a lot of research into some of those colors. And it, um, they're, they're really beautiful, like emeralds and sapphires and things like that, which were really nice. Well, you know, it's it's always interesting to talk with cinematographers. We've had a number of you guys on the show, and uh, men and women. And uh, I'm colorblind. So sometimes wow. I kind of chuckle at when I get <laughs> – yeah, so sometimes, so sometimes I'm getting to – talk with this wonderful, like such as yourself, like something that I see that's just like so awesome. And I'm just like, Oh man, I'm not really going to be able to say about what colors I saw. I, I had to, I had to cover the favorite and I was like, Oh my God, like what a just disaster to put the colors blind guy in front of. It was a great interview, but it was just <laughs> like, so yeah, so just to let you know, if I'm not able to talk to you about Emerald, I'm like, are we talking about Wizard of Oz? But I, I, I could definitely admire what you did. I mean, it was uh, the scope of it. So this will lead me into this question that I was really intrigued by. How a cinematographer, the challenge of doing a miniseries to where you're happy to meet, meet the vision of two different directors. That really interests me. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we had, so we had two different directors on this job. Casey Lennons did the first two episodes and Demaine Davis did the second two. And um, what was great is that they were both there throughout. Like Demaine, even though she did the second two episodes, was our producing director. So she was there from the very beginning. Um, and a lot of the decisions that we all made, we kind of made as a as a group. Um and it's also kind of interesting, too, because it's like, you know, episodes one and two kind of shows the ascent of Madam C.J. Walker. Like, she, we really start with her having literally, like quite literally nothing. Um, and then kind of by the end of the series, she's like, you know, lives next door to Rockefeller, is insanely rich. And so we tried to talk about, like, what the difference is and look between, like, that first sort of period and the second one. But, yeah, I mean, I think that what, what was key was that, you know, we did the four episodes, but both directors were there. I mean, Casey, when she wrapped her first two, she, you know, she didn't, she um, moved on. But the fact that Domain was there, like, the whole time, she was able to see how we dealt with coverage, um, how we dealt with a bunch of things in the first two episodes and kind of, you know, we, we made sure that we were able to make one show instead of it feeling like it was like two different pieces. Oh, okay. I felt that was just so seamless. And what I felt was so great about this story was that it's not like we're spilling the beans. If we say what happened or you just mentioned uh, the Rockefeller scene. Uh, also to the continuity, like you just mentioned the first two Octavia Spencer's in a much different place, obviously. So I was also intrigued by, as a cinematographer, first two episodes, the character's in a completely different emotional space. So other yeah. than, I know you didn't walk into work and just say, well, I'm going to rely everything on Octavia Spencer, even though, let's face it, it's Octavia Spencer. You're, yeah. I'm wondering how, where a cinematographer places them, themselves in saying, what I have to do has to best capture a really happy dude and then... Maybe next week we're going to be filming him and his dad died. So what is the kind of challenge for that from the cinematography point of view? Or is there? Or is it just you're, it's the director and the actor and you're kind of just there? I mean, what I'm wondering what it is. Well, I think that, you know, well, it goes without saying that we had an actress who is just like a force of nature. Like watching Octavia Spencer do anything is pretty amazing. Like she, um, there were times where she was, she, we were shooting and the whole crew was just like amazed. And I, I really can't say enough about her skill level, of course. And I think for what's interesting about Madam C.J. Walker's story and something that really is a through line, no matter how like much she quote unquote made it by the end, 
she was still fighting. Like she fought like from the very beginning of her having nothing to when she had everything, she was still fighting to like, you know, to belong, still fighting to, you know, make even more of her business, still fighting to get the respect and gain the respect that she deserved. And so I think that that was kind of the through line that we did use while we were shooting her of this, like, how do you show this, like, very, very rugged determination that this woman had that kept her going, like, from, again, when she had nothing to keep her going throughout. And I think that's something that, you know, even for, you know, now modern days of just, like, you know, working in, like, this film industry isn't necessarily the easiest place. And just, like, what level of sheer determination do we need to kind of move move forward? And I think for, for that, it was just, like, you know, really trying to get the camera as close as we could to Octavia and really try to see what is going on in her inner world. Like, there, I think that, of course, in the movie, we see her inner struggle, like her struggling against her own self and her own demons, but like really kind of showcasing what she had to do to, you know, to, to, um, to battle with the world around her, around her through racism, misogyny, and everything, to um, to get to a place where she was. Right. Well, I was. And I think. Well, and again, sorry, I'll, I'll go back into the camera part. Is this that really it was like in those moments we tried to have the camera um, be as close to her as possible and try to you know see you know something to be able to stay on her eyeline so we could kind of see the inner workings there. And again, you have like a, like, you know, Octavia Spencer, like she could, there's the, the smallest difference, like in the way her eye moves from one place to another, or maybe like it's a little twitch in her cheek. Like she can say so many things just by very subtle movements without any dialogue. And I think that those, those yes. were definitely my favorite scenes with her of just like when she didn't have, not to say that the dialogue was lovely, but like when she didn't have any dialogue and you could just really see, see her, you know, come to terms with herself. We had many scenes where she's just alone in a room and trying to process and this quietness. And it's just kind of like a pleasure to be able to have the camera set up and just see her do what she does. And it it was, um, yeah, I think for those scenes, it was just kind of our best, my best instinct was like, how do I get, you know, as close as I can and in direct eye, eye with her, but not get in the way. So it's um she's definitely a, a great person to to play with in that way of just like, you know, you know what, there's gonna be an amazing performance, just catch it and, and don't get in the way. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. I mean there's a that's a great saying that some people I mean, I I'm not the master of following it, but uh getting out of your own way is definitely an artistic lesson for everyone. I guess this goes into a question that I like to ask cinematographers. If you feel like you're a jazz musician or a scientist with prep, and I guess we can use Octavia <laughs> Spencer, how that would affect you given that like you said, you're walking in, you know you have a force of nature, so yeah. Okay, so you walk in and you know you have Octavia Spencer. So does is there even like a second of just like not where of where fear maybe goes from one ten to one percent? So like, do you work as a jazz musician or a scientist with how you prep? I think for for this one, I'm, for me and all my jobs, I I love prep. I, I think prep is kind of like it is some of the best most pure time that you can spend because then this is when you're just like, you know, figuring out the story, figuring out how you're going to show it, figuring out the visuals. And then, you know, you're like making all of your imperfect world plans, like the schedule is going to go just so. So you're really able to have a level of control. And, and, but then like, it's the same idea of like, okay, go in with all that, go in with all that information, go in with all those wonderful plans but then once you get to production, know that, okay, yeah, half of that might just totally vanish or you might lose every location, right. or you, might, you know, things like that. But at least you had some semblance of an idea. And I think especially with, you know, with this, uh, we, I, my plan was just to go in as prepared as possible. Um, just because like, you know, you want to be as professional <laughs> and prepared as you can with everything. But then at the same time, there, there is the fun in finding, you know, in finding where you can like still stay within the vision of the, of the piece, but give it a little bit of, you know, know that you can, there's, there's happy accidents and there's places where you can um, allow for a little improvisation 
because, you know, no matter what, what you are planning sitting in your production office is not exactly the same thing that you end up when you're on, when you're on set. So I think with, you know, with, with Octavia, like, of course, we didn't really, we never had to worry about her not knowing her lines. We never had to worry about her not hitting a mark. She's an incredible technical actress in addition to being an incredible actress. So it was just more of like all of us being able to like really sort of be at the top of our games too. And so I think there's this thing of like my, my favorite one of my favorite pieces of filmmaking, like I, I do a lot of documentary work and I think that with documentary, it's a great place for me to improve my improvisational skills. Like, you know, in documentary, you don't necessarily have, you know, you might have an AC, you might have one person in the lighting department. You may have seen pictures of the location beforehand, but it's really about you walking into this room and being like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to shoot this? And the sun is going to change in the, you know, the, the, the scope of this two hour interview, how do I prepare for that? And you really kind of have to work on your feet. And I feel like that's something that was really great about set too. It's just like, no matter how prepared you come, always being able to be like, okay, that plan didn't work out. What do I do now? And so, yeah, I think the, the, the goal was always to be as prepared as possible, but then at the same time, know that there's going to be a little bit of ebb and flow about how things go on set. Interesting. Well, yeah, I've always wondered why the movie gods uh, seem to make craft services work out okay, but they seem to mess up everything else. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's because the crew wouldn't be real happy if the food wasn't there. But I'm, I always used to think, That's like, right. why, why do the cookies seem to always show up, but the budget goes wrong? Um, yeah. Okay, happy so you just brought up well a great crew. segue. Cause I wanted to kind of <laughs> ask you about this prepping for a real person. Say, I watched your Greg Luganis documentary. It was fantastic. Um, and I can see where you're mentioning that you, you know, playing with the room, playing with the light, playing with the mood. I mean, for listeners, when you look up the filmography of things she shot, you've shot very heavy duty topics. So I wouldn't say that I'm saying that there, you obviously love what you do and it's fun, but I'm, you know, I'm coming from the point of view of, I worked at a HIV service agency and it was hard just to see patients come in and pick up their food. So I hadn't yeah. sat down and discussed it, had to interview it, had to possibly say, Oh, I guess it wasn't the gate was wrong. I don't know what you shot it on, but um, and have to really be involved with that. And especially someone who's as history making as him, you obviously have a love of history if you're involved with 13th and Madam CJ Walker and Greg, Greg Luganis. So I'm wondering how you prep because you mentioned documentary, how you prep to shoot a real person versus kind of shoot. And it's a two pronged question, shooting a story about a real person. So like you were saying, you, mm. have to, you have to capture life versus you have to capture a written version of life. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's actually a good question. We, so with the Greg, I think with both cases, whether it's documentary or like um, a, a dramatic retelling of someone's life, there is a level of kind of accountability where you're really, um, I guess more, maybe more especially in documentary, because this is a real, like a real life and a real person that you're trying to figure out how to show best, you know, and not to say that you show them like in their best light, show them however the story is. And I, I mean, for me with Greg Luganis, that was one I was so excited about. I remember watching those Olympics with my grandmother. I remember like seeing his head hit the, the, you know, hit the board and just being so shocked and like just shocked with everybody. And then on top of it to find out like, you know, that he was HIV positive at the time. And I just think it was like an incredible historic moment in the country. And then, so that was an honor to be able to suddenly like be, you know, in the room with him and hear him talk about it, hear the, what he went through in that moment, like suddenly realizing, Oh my God, I'm bleeding in this pool. And the doctors, um, I can't remember exactly. I feel like his doctor did know, but then everybody else didn't know. And like the level of pressure, um, that he must've been under and then still to perform as he did is just kind of like a miracle, I think. Um, so there was this thing of like being in the room with him and hearing him talk and hearing him talk about his dedication to his craft. Um, and I think that's, that's so inspiring again, like, you know, the idea of 
touching back to Madam C.J. Walker and knowing the dedication she had to have to everything she's doing, you know, you can't help but like kind of have these things. Inf- I can't help but have these things influence my life in a way of like, oh my gosh, am I working hard enough? Am I, <laughs> am I dedicated to what I need to be doing? And, but I feel like for most of us, like, you know, we're, we're storytellers. And so it's an honor whether the medium or whether the, the genre changes, whether it's documentary or it's narrative and, you you really still at the same time want to be able to tell a story that honors the person you're telling the story of, you know. And I, I think that um, yeah, that was a that was a great opportunity to work with him and and um, shoot part of his life. Well, thank you for that. I, 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 when I when I pulled up your filmography, I was I was really interested because I re- I kind of looked into Madam C.J. Walker and, and I really admire filmmakers when they're willing to go after something heavy. And when you talked about accountability and inspiration, when I was like 19 and going to film school, my at 41, my grandmother told me one day she said she told me to go off and find some Sidney Portier films, and I'm like, okay, I'd kind of heard of Mr. Portier, but really dove into him. And I came back and I said, why were you like telling me that that's where I needed to start it? And she said, because you on your worst day will never have it attempt as hard as he did. Mm. And I was like, and, and she was like, so every time you think your career is not working or you're whining because you don't have this, she's like, just be yeah. in that they wouldn't let you use the bathroom at the studio. And it was like, so that was like my starting point was like, okay, so no matter how hard a project gets, I can never, ever think it's hard. All right. Thanks, grandma. Like, where do you go with that? Yeah. Like I, I get to be, I'm a filmmaker and I can't ever complain. So, uh, yeah. so that's, so I like what you just said. It made me think of grandma because it was like getting to be around these people that it's just like, oh my gosh, like I have, uh, what have not like, what have I ever done? Cause we've all done something, but it's like, yeah, that's what I was so inspired by. And then um, if you don't mind, because it does tie into the way I want people, we want people to see this self-made series on Netflix. If you don't mind, if we uh, discuss 13th for a few minutes, is that okay with you? Of course. I lo- yeah. <laughs> okay. I love 13th. I guess what, I, what I'm interested in is that, do you know when you're telling these stories that, uh, I tried so mad, to, I don't, I try not to bring anger to the show. Okay. So. How do you, I guess that's a good question. That could be a good question. How do you not, like, how do you guys stay sane while you're telling a story like that? Like, generally speaking. Mm. Well, with 13th, I mean, that one, it's such a, it's such a special film and it's so, it's still so timely. Like, I feel like it's going to be timely for like the next 10 years, 20 years. Um, I think it's for me, not the, I took a lot of my uh, direction from our director, Ava DuVernay. Ava was able to craft this stunning film in such a way to really get, like, get to the heart of, like, it's very, 13th is very um, scientific. It's very researched. Like, it's like point A to point B to point C. Like, it's very, the fact that they were able to get all of that information into a piece that's under two hours long is amazing to me. There's a lot of information. And um, the fact that that could come through is kind of amazing. So I think for us, the job was the job was to be able to show all of this. And yes, of course, there's anger. Yes, of course, there's there's this, you know, the fact that Donald Trump is now our president after all the stuff that, you know, he went on saying before he was our president, the fact that like this, that we're in the state that we are, you kind of have to work through that and be like, okay, that, that's there. I acknowledge my anger, but how does that help? It's not helping to tell this specific story. So for us, I think it was just more about like, how do we get into the research to make this as clear as possible, to make the audience be able to see a very direct straight line from slavery to the modern, you know, prison conflict complex that we have today. And it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, there's no denying it. And um, I, yeah, I, I think to, to this day, probably for the rest of my career, the 13th is going to be one of the, one of the films I'm most proud of because I do think it's like they're, um, the information is all there. And I, I, for us, like I, you know, for, for example, with shooting that job, you know, we did a lot of sit down interviews. Um, and what was great is that, you know, Ava was definitely like, she definitely didn't want it to be like your standard 
sit-down talking head. Like, she really wanted some gravitas to each frame. She really wanted the frames to be able to stand on their own. And they do, because I remember we, we ended up shooting, and, um, you know, with documentaries, you might shoot all the interviews. And then a couple months later, you get the call of, like, okay, we're going to do some B-roll. And I remember after we finished principal photography, I asked the producers, okay, so yeah, are we going to do some B-roll days? And they're like, no, I don't think we're going to do B-roll. And I remember thinking, okay, yeah, right, no B-roll. <laughs> and then, but then <laughs> when I saw, when I saw the finished piece, they already had like the level of archival footage that they had is stunning. And then all the graphics, like they really, she was really very smart about being able to support these talking heads, which I think it made it even stronger. The fact that we did make the, the talking heads such like, you know, such like, um, strong compositions because then we were able to have this beautiful flow of this organic feeling, um, archival footage setting that up and then very sort of like literally black and white, um, um, oh, I lost my chance. black and white um, graphics that supported all of the story. So it's just like, a, it's just like a testament to her of having this idea of like, let's make these, let's make these interview setups very much, very, very much stand literally on their own. Oh, those, you know, I was only, I mean, I'm not saying it only worked because I was hunting for it, but it, it was one of the times yeah. where I really noticed this extra part of the frame versus not just the standard, like you're saying, talking head. Of course, we're meeting their eyeliner. Of course, they're looking to the left or the right, but just maybe that little placement in the bottom screen left, television right corner, uh, and just a lot of what you know, in film school, your teacher would be like, you don't know how to frame a shot, but it was just like, like you're saying, it was intended <laughs> and it had a purpose, yeah. right? And you're like, and I was looking at that, I was kind of like, I think, you know what, that's really interesting because I, there's very few times I ever pick up on that because I, I try everything I can to be like, not the most technical guy, but at least I know eye lines and rule of thirds and like, so I, I don't really ever like to be breaking it down that far or paying attention that much because then you're not in the film, right? So but I was kind of noticing, like I didn't notice before how I guess that rule book kind of just went out the window. And I, and I was like, this is yeah. like, you're, like you brought it up. This is why it works so well. And also that goes into the research of like another thing I'd like to ask every guest is, and this would more so apply to self-made uh, story of Madam CJ Walker. Uh, do you have a, like a, a best lesson as a cinematographer or a person that the production gave you to where you kind of sat down when you got home and you're like, wow, you know, I probably wouldn't have learned that if I wasn't doing this project. Well, I mean, I guess there's a lot of best lessons that I learned from this shoot, not only as a DP, but also as a person. I mean, first of all, like, as a, like we can talk about as a DP, like I really, for this one, it was, it, you know, it's my first period piece, which I, you know, loved working in. I worked with a crew in Toronto that was just stellar. And like, you know, at every turn had, you know, ideas for equipment that we could best, you know, use to help move the, help with camera movements and lighting. And, and then also like as a, as a DP for this one, like, you know, I, it, you know, we were able to shoot, we pushed to be able to shoot anamorphic and I used the aspect ratio of two to one. So already I was trying to kind of push myself in a different direction as far as framing and camera movements, which was wonderful. Um, and then I think just as a, as a person, like, you know, this, this show, again, it kind of goes back to who she was as an individual and who, you know, what, like, Madam C.J. Walker's parents were slaves and the fact that she, you know, came from that history and were, was able to suddenly create this empire is amazing. And I think it goes again back to what we were talking about before about this lesson in perseverance and really, you know, pushing yourself and, and pushing yourself through to whatever outcome, you know, you, you want. And I think as a person, it, it stays with me of just you know, trying to make sure that I'm doing enough each day. Am I <laughs> like, is this one getting phoned in or is this one really like the level of work that I want to be putting forward here? Um, so that was great. And I think too, it's just like, you know, with, with this film, it was, it was great. We were made it, the, the crew itself. There were a lot of black women on the crew. And so it was really nice just for us to be able, like from the showrunners down, just to be able to work together and, and really, you know, honor this woman who came before us and made so much possible for us. I, I really loved that aspect. Uh, and I feel that's an important reason why I 
recommended and wanted to do this uh, because you guys touched on those issues of race, gender equality that were just, I don't want to, I hate the word obvious. I should have looked up another word that were pertinent <laughs> and of course in the story and were the story. And it's, it was, it's such a great time uh, for the story, but I was really, what I'd liked most was that you guys were, and I, and I, and I'd love to know if there was a conscious conversation about this. I'm a huge Spike Lee fan. My dad made me watch do the right thing when I was 10 years old. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, you see that where that guy just yelled the N word and used the bat. He's like, no son of mine will ever use the N word. And I just remember he was like, oh, snap on me. And I was like, and I, I thought he was, you know, my dad never beat me, but I thought he was going to hit me. And it was just, it was just this cathartic thing of like, this riot breaks out and then you think your dad's going to hit you. And so it's like, I always have just this vision. I remember the room, everything. So it's like, I always wonder like holding emotion back and like, you guys were able to tell this story and you were able to give us the point without giving us the spice we like Denzel put it best. He's like, I tell Spike sometimes it's okay to just use a jab. He doesn't need to always use the right hook. So like, mm. was there ever kind of some temper, like some conversations of like, okay, you know what? The energy is a little bit too fierce. We're a little bit too into the vibe of anti this or anti that. So let's kind of, you know, just kind of have a spiritual powwow and kind of like, like, was there like times where it just felt like way too angry or way too, Hey, to the message music, you know, like you guys just did it so well without making me like choke on the message. Yeah, no, I feel like with, with, you know, there's the stereotype of the angry black woman, <laughs> something that is like throughout culture, it's just like black women are always portrayed as just like so angry and about to tell you off and all this stuff. And I, I, I don't know if the showrunners <laughs> like, intentionally you know tried to write back some of that anger or like within the story but we didn't uh, are the and i'll speak for myself in this one the 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 the, the, the focus of the, the piece isn't about being angry the focus of the piece is about like um one woman who had like odds stacked up that i can't i still to this day cannot even imagine and instead of her sitting there and getting angry about it she decided to take it and take it in her own hands and just force it to happen. And I feel like that's our, you know, yes, we can be angry about what's happening in the world. We can be angry about um, inequalities. We can be angry about so many things. And yes, you know, times when I'm angry about all those things too, but that anger doesn't get very far. You know, it's just like one of those things where you then just have to get it, like sit down and then do the work. And I think that that's exactly what she did and what ex exactly is the best use of a time. And so I don't think there was ever a time on set where we we're just like, whoa, 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 this is too angry. Let's not do that. It's like, no, that's not the focus. The focus of the piece is her, what she overcame. And, um, and yeah, I think that that's the beauty of her life. It's just say, yeah, she, she had so many reasons to be angry, like so many. And I'm not, I'm not implying that she wasn't angry. Um, but that wasn't, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you explained that because I always, I I'm speaking for myself and not Netflix or the PR reps or anyone, but I'm, I'm always so like, uh, I'm so into vibe and energy. And I, I don't have to say that it's like a religious thing. I'm not like, Oh, Buddha told me to be chill today. So I'm always just really yeah. trying to be, uh, pay attention to, you know, was that day bad because you went there angry or, you know, was it only what made you angry? Like you're saying, like, do you have to do your work and you have to some kind of rise above it? And that's what I just loved about this story was like the standard things that most of us probably wouldn't even be able to deal with for a week. And to think of someone who dealt with it for however many years were covered in the story, I don't want to specifically spoil it, but and then, like you're saying, yeah. when I really realized what it paved, uh, when I looked, oh, God, I'm such an emotional sap sometimes. Um, <laughs> when, what, you know, I'm just going to say this because it, it's relevant to the story. You know, there's a, there's a tremendous rumor in my family that my grandmother comes from a inappropriate encounter with a slave. And so... Hmm this story hit me in a different way because with no remote on planet earth racial implications, my father and I's hair grows like some of the hair in the movie. And yeah. so, I mean, I can grow like the killer Snoop Dogg fro from like his first album, 
And <laughs> it's kind of funny because, you know, I just walk around as this white dude that can grow like a perfect fro. So my dad was telling me this one time, and of course I'm totally ashamed of it, but my dad's like, it, it was probably like four generations ago. It wasn't you. Like it wasn't me. It wasn't your grandfather. Like you just have to like make peace with it. And so that's why when I saw started to see what this film was about, it really got heavy duty for me quick because it was kind of reminding me that my, you know, that who I am was a, was part of this, these things that she was having to overcome. So it became a really yeah. cathartic piece of work. So I was really excited that I was going to uh, speak with you and that I was seeing it because I, I really believe that films find you sometimes. Mm. And before I get into just embarrassing my father on air, because I want to keep it about you. The other the, uh, one last question I had about Madam C.J. Walker, if you don't mind, is it, it had such a great soundtrack. And I know there's obviously just a treasure trove of, you know, Kansas City jazz and Harlem jazz and saxophone colossus and clifford brown and coltrane but how fun was it to research music like what what did you guys research what did you guys listen to to capture that period like did you have like a cd or a playlist or no so the only music that we had were like you know when there was like a dance number where um you know, I, like I think of the scene where they're waiting for Booker T. Washington to come to the house and there's that little dance that goes in. We had the music for that, but we, I, we really didn't hear, I didn't really hear um, a lot of the musical selections in, um, until I was in color, like in post being able to see it and see what color choice, uh, when we were setting the color and then really be able to hear the music. And I think it just comes back to like, um, it's interesting that they use the modern music with the piece. And I think it comes back to their desire to really not have this feel like, you know, just your, like a, a standard period piece, which again is like either monochrome or sepia or something like that. I really want to, I really think that they wanted to have it live in a modern world. And so for them, it was just about like, yes, how can we find some music, like, you know, modern music that kind of fit the, fit the feeling and, and the colors and all that. So yeah, I think that the music selection kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the look that they wanted to create too. Oh, okay. And, I mean, yeah, cause I'm, I'm always intrigued by the, those elements. You see the music in post or color timing. Like I'm always just absolutely intrigued by, you know, like that you, you, you literally might not have heard that the score or the soundtrack till then. Like no. there wasn't a, <laughs> you, you're created an image and you have no idea how it's going to sound, but you're responsible for how it looks. That's, that's always been so uh, that's like the most intriguing thing to me about filmmaking. I mean, I know the teamwork aspect. And I know how we all have to do different things, but uh, that's it's true. Like, we definitely I mean, each is, department, each department informs the other, and it's kind of. But then, yeah, there's sometimes where you're either informing the other and not knowing, or like a lot of the like the editing style that they used is definitely much more like you know. Um, not upbeat, but a little bit more fast. And I think that probably goes a little bit more with the modern music. And, you know, that's always like, you know, you shoot something and sometimes, you know, edited very differently than what you thought. Or in this one, I knew that they were going to be definitely a little bit more, um, not, I'm thinking of the word poppy, but it's not the right word uh, with the editing. But I think that like using the music kind of inspired that too. So yeah, everything in the end, you hope that everything comes together as one, you know, cohesive piece in the end. And I think luckily we were able to do that with this one. Oh yeah, you guys really, uh, I, I just loved that everything was so even and everything was relevant. I, I never felt like, you know, I did watch two parts one night, two parts the next, because I didn't want to be, and I'm glad I did, because I would have been so overwhelmed, but... It would have been a lot. It, yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, it was just, I forget which episode it was, where I'm just like, you know what, I'm, I've already cried enough. Like, this is, I'm going to be in a therapy tomorrow morning if I watch the next one. So I, I love that you guys were able to do something of such scale, but also, I'm not saying so small, but like you're saying, it didn't, I, it, I wasn't like, oh man, I had to sit through Gone with the Wind. And now I have to write questions. Yeah. Jeez. You know, so you guys did a, a, just a superb job. Um, the Thank last you. couple of questions that, oh, you're so welcome. The last <laughs> couple of questions that we ask every guest, we like to think we're inside the actor's studio part two, but don't worry. It's not the same question. Um, okay. <laughs> let's see. Um, that was, you know, that was like my favorite show on the planet. I was so crushed that he died the other day. I know, like last um, week, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, last week. It was so mm -hmm. like, I just always watched that show with my grandma that told me about Sydney. And she was just speaking, you know, I, I don't, you know, what you were saying about women, like 
I just know my grandma probably wanted to be a filmmaker and just never even dared thinking to of dream it. that she was a woman. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah, so it's because she would ramble to me and there was no internet movie database. There was no Google. <laughs> and she, oh, Hitchcock, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, what is she talking about? She hasn't even like thought for a second. So that's another reason that I saw the importance and I just loved when it showed what it did for women. Okay, so. Do you have a project? Well, wait, can we, sorry, can we, we, uh, there's something I just wanted to come back to, too. You know, we're talking about the question of like the anger and stuff like in the thing. I I think for, for us with Madame CJ Walker, like this, this film self-made is about a celebration of her life. Like this, you know, she, the fact that she was as successful as she was, the fact that like she still inspires us to this day, we really wanted it to feel like we were celebrating her. And I feel like that also goes in, it goes in line with like the showrunner's ultimate vision of like keeping it something, you know, modern, even though it's like, like this modern take on period. Um, but really having it play as a celebration of what the things that we can overcome in life. Ah, okay. You know what? That was I, all I, I wanted that to you're say. saying that. <laughs> Sorry. I just got goosebumps. A celebration <laughs> of life. Because I remember thinking, of the, I remember thinking I shut it off and I was like, that just felt like the hurricane to me. There was just something that I was feeling that That's, I couldn't translate that you just said. I was like, I wa- I'm not oh, all good. snap about Reuben Carter. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to be inspired by Reuben Carter. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, we're, we're getting kind of heavy for two in the afternoon. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. You know what? I, I'm sorry. I always got to just roll with goosebumps when I get them. I can, I don't think we can deny those when they come. Graceful moments. Mm-hmm. Thank you, universe. So you have, the, yeah. you have the budget, you have the scripts. So all those things that make a filmmaker say no are 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 there. Uh, do you have a genre that you would love to do before, like if you know they came and said, "Hey, you can't be a cinematographer anymore." Like that, this is the one genre you have to do before you hang up. The- yeah, well, it's just kind of bittersweet. I'm um, I'm on hiatus right now <laughs> from a show that. Um, well, can I talk about? I guess I could talk about it, right? Or yeah, I'm on it. So basically, um, I am a big, I'm a big sci-fi nerd. Um, I've always loved it. Um, I, I love like whether it's like something that's in space, whether it's like modern dystopias, stuff like that. Um, I I love it. And so for me, sci-fi, science fiction or speculative fiction, all of it would be a place that I'd. Love. And um, for I just <laughs> I'm on. Hiatus. I'm not sure if we want to do this timing-wise with like the coronavirus that's happening, but I'm on hiatus right now for this show that has been a dream of mine for a long time. It's this um, job called Why the Last Man. It's based on this comic book that came out in the early aughts, and it's one that I have like I collected when they first came out. I think it came out in, like 2003 and went until like 2008. I have every issue of it in my garage, like all in oh. plastic casings and. I have loved it, and I've tracked this job, this whole project, like, since the beginning. I think at one point it's supposed to be, like, a movie with Tom Cruise and all this, but now it's fine. It's a show that's on FX, and when it came around, I just, like, had been badgering my agents for forever. of like, just track this, make sure. And so I got the job, and, and it's exciting. I'm really, Excellent. you know, it's my first time. It's, like, the story is so, it's actually frighteningly timely. It's about this virus that hits the planet and within hours, or I think at all the same time, kills every um, male with uh, basically every mammal with a Y chromosome. And so it's like every man dies except for this one guy named Yorick and his helper monkey. And so it's kind of like we were were in Toronto for our first week of prep. And then, yeah, I got sent home. I was just like, no. But I feel like, you know, I'm I'm hoping that we'll come back. But yeah, science fiction and dystopian futures and, and all that, I just I just love. And so I'm really excited to be a part of this one. Wow, that sounds fantastic. And congrats. Are you, are you an annoying client Thank like you. Rod Tudwell and your agents, Jerry Maguire? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not that You're like, show me the money. <laughs> show me the sci-fi project. Show me Sorry, the sci-fi project. But no, specifically this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, I can't say I'm real happy about all of this. Males get killed off, but, you know, we can deal with that yeah, well. anger thing another time. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I I know we're due. I, you know, I'm just so, okay, so your sci-fi is your, your thing and, you, and you've got it. That's fantastic. Okay, so now 
it's just the opposite question. Like, what like don't you I never do shoot? a Western? Yeah, what oh. would you never shoot? Doesn't matter if the rent. Oh my goodness! Not, sorry, I should have premised that better. <laughs> Oh, that's a lot. Um, what would I never shoot? Oh God, there's no way not to find not to like sound snobby. <laughs> oh no. Um, what would I never shoot? Um, I guess I, I I wouldn't. I get very uh, seasick, so I think I'd have a hard time anything in small boats that wasn't on stage. I don't know that there's like something I would never shoot. I'm not saying I would never shoot this. Here, this here's one. I'm not saying I would never shoot this. I think it probably would be good, but I am not the best with horror movies just because um, my cousins probably forced me to watch too many when I was younger and they terrify me now. And so there's no level of me that can like have my filmmaker hat come out and be like, okay, Kira, yeah, you know, this is all fake, right? It still terrifies me. So <laughs> I think maybe, um, yeah, maybe I, I I don't know that I could do a horror thing, but not because I'm snobby about horror. It's just that I, uh, maybe it would be good, you know, a good way to get over this. But yeah, I find them really terrifying. Like I saw Us, which I loved, but the whole time I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I got to say that. I'm yeah. sure you saw Octavia Spencer and Ma, right? Did you watch that? I did not see Ma, although I have to. Oh my God, uh, it's so creepy. It. It's so yeah. creepy. And you'll probably, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you could get into it since you know her. And, and, you know, you don't have to, I don't know. I'm not going to ask like how close you are with her or whatever, but like, it is just such a creepy, weird, relevant, twisted, like we watch anything Octavia Maybe Spencer and that. we were just like, because I could. Yeah, it's, like, it's okay. It's Octavia. It's Octavia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remind yourself. She's not this crazy. Yeah. Remind. It's pretty, like it was exactly. extreme. And it, and it, uh, well, yeah. And you're, what's so cool about it is that you're, you're wondering how Octavia Spencer even, yeah. that's how it worked for me. Cause I was just like, what? Like she produces her own stuff and anybody on planet earth would work with it. This is like such a bizarre choice for her next four weeks. Like, wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. And like we were saying, I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to watch her work. Okay. Sorry. That, that would be my last question. If you don't mind one more question. Um, sure. And, uh, uh, Octavia Spencer, you mentioned you're watching her, you're working with her. Uh, the, the, well, I do need to know, do you, you operate camera a? No, I don't. So with, um, it's hard because I, I love operating. It's actually, it is one of my favorite things, but in TV more like, you know, more and more, it's like you have two cameras and you always have to be shooting those two cameras. And I find that if I'm operating a camera, there's always like literally 50% of the show that I don't get to see, you know, you don't get to see what B cameras doing. You don't get really get a flow for coverage and stuff like that. Well, for me, I don't, I'm sure a lot of DPs who do both can, but I, I just find it easier to just then sit back um, and be able to actually see what's happening in both cameras. So no, I don't operate okay. when I have two cameras. Okay. So, so that leads into the question of, I was wondering how, because you all know, we all know, once you say action, nobody can move. Like even if a meteor is coming, the producer would probably say roll sound. Um, mm-hmm. What is like, like, is there a, like you're saying, force of nature, like, do you guys have to sit down and let, is it just unspoken to where you're actually like, no matter how great or honest she gets, like you cannot cry or you like, there cannot be a sniffle. Like, how do you do that with, with you, you had alluded to your seeing Octavia Spencer work, but how do you possibly turn off emotion? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I, like for me, it's like, I'm, like I'm, I'm a sucker for all that. Um, I think that there's, you know, from I can cry, <laughs> you know, at my monitor whether it's about performance. I can cry at my monitor about, like, oh my gosh, that flare just hit at the right time with that performance, or you know, like you really. I think that the fun part about this, I, um, I don't know how it is for other GPs, but I don't, I don't turn off like the emotions of it, or at least I, you know, try not to. Because I feel like if it affects us, the people making it, um, then then hopefully that some level of that can affect the audience. So 
so yeah, I, I don't, um, I love being, I, I, I love it when emotions come in when we're shooting because I think it just kind of, you know, we, there's a certain level. It's like, it's, it's a job. There's a certain level of be, you know, having to turn that stuff off and be like, okay, Oh, it's an hour until lunch. I'm really tired, blah, blah, blah. But then once a, <laughs> once, it, once you can kind of get hit by a performance like that, then there's something, I don't know. It's suddenly it's a good reminder of why we're doing it. It's a good reminder of like being able to tell a story and how powerful, like, what, what an honor that is. So yeah, I, I don't, I try not, I don't shy away from that. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's, that's something that always really just intrigued me when you see those classic scenes that just make everybody lose it, that it's like, well, how did the 60 people around just stay quiet and not <laughs> like, we, okay, yeah, the grips are, you know, they're wondering what time beer time is. And I get that. And, you know, their backs are broken from carrying track. And I'm not saying all grips, I shouldn't say that because I know grips who love what they do. And then I know grips who are yeah. just like, oh, I do this because it's $500 a day. I don't even like movies. And I'm like, you've had two knee surgeries and you don't even like what you're doing. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's fantastic. That's that's so great. Thank you for answering that. I've I've that's been something that's been on my mind. Your your episode three sixty. I've probably done about two hundred and fifty interviews, and I've never asked how do you hold your emotion, okay. and especially with what you've worked on. So um, great. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you again. Yes, you're okay. very welcome, and we wish you all the best with the sci-fi project, the unfortunate shutdown and work, and of course, most of all. Uh, yourself, your personal safety, you and all of yours with what's going on in the world. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right. Take care. Aloha, Kira. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. That was a wonderful film talk with Kira Kelly. I'm so jazzed right now. Like I get so amped after I do what I mean. So I'm going to wrap it up again. Check out self-made Inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker, you were going to love this movie coming to Netflix. Thanks for your time. You know my deal, whether it's morning, afternoon, or night. Make sure and watch a good movie and spread some aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.